This morning, I, I would like to share with you a section of scripture of the Bible. It really changed my life, and it has been uh, just totally foundational uh, in my walk with Jesus. The interesting thing about this scripture is that it was really important to me uh, years ago. Again, it was just it was one of the reasons I became a Christian. But I've noticed that it's important to me now as well. It keeps coming up. It keep it serves as a reminder. It's an encouragement to me. Uh, maybe you have a scripture like that that keeps uh, coming up. But it isn't a really interesting thing about the Bible. Um, it is unlike any other book that you or I have ever read. And I've read a lot of books, okay? I'm a bookworm. I like to get into them. I'll tear up a good book. But the Bible is totally uh, different. It's described in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, as living and powerful. Kind of a weird description, right? Uh, another translation says that it's alive and active. I like that one too. <laughs> kind of a weird description, not the, descri- the description of a normal book. Uh, people aren't saying that about the hungry caterpillar, you know. It's totally different, okay, the Bible. <laughs> but if you are a born-again Christian, maybe you have experienced this yourself. You're like, man, this, these words right here, God's words, they changed my life. If you read the Bible regularly, no doubt you have experienced that. Hard to explain to somebody who hasn't gone through that, but it's totally true. It's alive, it's active. Uh, I think of the saying, uh, from your mouth to God's ears, right? I hope we get off you know, work early today, from your mouth to God's ears, brother, right? <laughs> kind of a saying, the Bible, I believe, it's just the opposite of that, right? It's God's words to our ears, okay? God really touched my heart with these verses, um, can't wait to share with you how he did that. So uh, today, if you do have your Bible, please turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Just going to be looking at the first five verses there. Right. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5. And we'll put it up on the screen here, you guys. But again, this is verses 1 through 5. Therefore... Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for these words, Lord, how they've just been uh, a light to, to my soul, Lord, how um, just in really hard times and tribulations, uh, we can always turn to your word, Lord, and be encouraged and uh, take hope from it, God. As we get into your scripture now, Lord, we just ask for ears to hear, as Jesus said. We want to understand, Lord, and we're asking that uh, we can understand by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, I'll never forget, I had just become a Christian. Um, I was reading through the book of Romans, and these five verses, they really just shocked me. They jumped off, you know, the page into my brain, just very much affected me. And I want to let you in on what happened in that whole situation, but since we are jumping uh, all the way to Romans chapter 5 and skipping the first four chapters, many of you Bible scholars are like, yeah, those are pretty important chapters. (laughs) They're super important, okay? So we are kind of hopping into the middle of a conversation here. I think of it like we're sort of eavesdropping on a conversation between uh, Paul, the apostle, and the Romans. Uh, Yeah, hopping right into the middle of a conversation. 
I remember kind of funny story about this. In high school, I had this best friend, and we would play this awesome prank on people. So I encourage you guys to do it. It's great. So here's what we would do. We would go to the mall. We'd go to Macy's, and they have these elevators. Again, this is me and my best friend, and we would, we would spend all day at the mall just doing this prank because it was so funny. But we'd get into an elevator, and elevators, um, I'm sure all of us have ridden them, but they're a little bit awkward. Have you guys noticed that? So there's that moment where, you know, everyone, we cram in there, and the doors close, and then there's that moment of, like, really awkward silence, and you're not trying to make any noise. You're just like... You just take a deep breath, you know? But what we would do is we would get in there with everybody. The, you know, the elevator's packed. I'm in there with my best friend. The doors would close. There would be that moment of awkward silence. And I would look over at him and I would say, and that's how my cocker spaniel died. <laughs> and everyone would give us like, you know, kind of weird looks like, what? And then this is the best part. So he would turn back to me and he'd go, wow, I didn't know squirrels could be so aggressive. That was our prank. It was hilarious. We got the weirdest looks. Everybody was like, what were they talking about? (laughs) Uh, Anyways, we're hopping into an elevator right now with Paul and the Romans. We're not uh, really catching the full, uh, we're catching the middle of the conversation. So I just want to give us some context here. In the first four chapters of the book of Romans prior to this, Paul is showing how everybody, you, me, your grandma, everybody is guilty of committing sin. Everybody. Everybody's a sinner. And he even says that the people who think that they aren't committing sin, uh, even those people, they have committed sin as well. It's something that we inherited from our father Adam, right? Everyone is a sinner. You might recognize this verse. It's Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sinned. Now, the word sin, maybe you guys are familiar with this before. It's that archery term, and it literally means to miss the mark to be a little off, not perfect, it's not a bullseye, you're missing perfection. More practically, it means to violate God's law, break the rules, do something bad, right? Um, Now, I promise I'm not like the doom and gloom guy, so uh, (laughs) don't think that that's what this message is, but there is a reality that everybody has sinned. Everyone's a sinner. We've all violated God's law before. Part of the problem I have come to realize uh, in my own life is we certainly sin, but we also get desensitized to the sins that we commit. We get used to doing it. It doesn't uh, terrify us or shock us anymore. We kind of forget the horror of sin. (laughs) There was a moment when I first came to the Lord, and I had been walking away for many years. I knew him as a child. Coming back around, though, um, upon returning to him, I was filled with the realization that I was a sinner, that I had broken the rules, that I had messed up. And I was just filled with that realization. And in, I, in comparison with the Lord, I was like, whoa, there is a distance between us now. He's holy and I'm not. I have sin in my life. I need to be cleansed. That was my thought. Reminded me of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Of course, it's Isaiah chapter six, but Isaiah, Isaiah saw this powerful vision of the Lord. There's these angels, the seraphim, they're surrounding God and they're worshiping him. They're covering their eyes and their feet with their wings, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy. Isaiah said, speaking of the Lord, that the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah saw the Lord, his light, and he's blown away. He's shocked, and he has this realization. I want to read to you what Isaiah said. It's Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. He said, woe is me, for I am undone, 
because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. (laughs) I can really relate to Isaiah. I had this moment where it felt like I could finally see myself in the correct light. Maybe you've experienced that too. When we see the Lord all of a sudden, we get an accurate, an accurate picture of how holy he is and how sinful we are. Really kind of a, ser- a scary sight. Um, I would explain it this way. This is a confession to you guys too. I'm a really forgetful person, okay? And keep that between us, but I am. I'm a really forgetful person. I forget stuff all the time. Oftentimes, if I'm in a conversation with you and there's something that we need to do or something that needs to be accomplished, like a task or anything like that, I'll bust out my phone and I'm not texting or anything like that. I'm writing down what needs to be done, right? I have the little reminders app and that's how I don't forget stuff. But about two months ago, I forgot something super, super uh, important. I forgot to wheel my trash can out to the road on garbage day. Have you guys ever done that? Not you guys, just me, okay. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, whatever, dude, you just got like two weeks of trash. It's, you know, no big deal. Well, here's the thing, man. I have two little kids in diapers right now. <laughs> and some of you have changed those diapers. God bless you. Um, so this trash can was really gross. It was like overflowing, and I had forgotten to do it. And you guys remember, two months ago, it was hot, really hot, okay? It gets worse, okay? No, we're just at the beginning here, Okay. There's McDonald's in this trash can. Don't judge about the McDonald's. This is a McDonald's safe zone, right? But there's McDonald's in there. And Michaela, my wife, she had uh, cleaned out our fridge of all the old food, did the annual um, fridge clean out. Or uh, we do it more often than that, not just annually. Sorry. (laughs) We do, I promise. Um, But there's all this old rotting food in there. It was really gross. Uh, And again, it was super hot. So it was like my trash can was baking in the sun, and it essentially became an oven of diapers, food, all that stuff. And it was disgusting, you guys. What ended up happening was that there was these maggots that appeared. They eventually, they just started to populate inside the trash can because it's like a maggot's paradise, man. It's hot, you know, they got food, moist and everything, really, really gross, um, and they're thriving. But by the end of the two weeks, there was this rancid odor. It was really gross. Like you went to, you didn't want to throw any new trash in there because when you lifted up the lid, it would like affect a one block radius for 10 minutes, you know. It was actually really disgusting. True story. There, there is a happy ending. <laughs> okay, so the trash man comes, he dumps it, but it's still not clean. You know what I mean? If you guys, I'm not the only one that has done this, okay. I know it. But the trash can is still dirty. There's still maggots and stuff in it. So I take dish soap and I'm like, you know, I put the dish soap in it. I lay it down. I hose it out. Uh, but there's this moment. Um, I just couldn't help thinking afterward, man, this trash can is like my sin. It just stinks. It stinks to high heaven and Jesus wants to clean it up. It's just this realization. But I, I do believe that's true. When we realize how gross our sin is, I believe that we can see why Jesus was so serious about radically removing sin out of our lives. He really was. Think of it like this too. Um, Me and my wife, we like to go on date nights. We try to do it weekly if we can. But if I sat down across the table from my wife, we're about to have dinner, we're on our date night, but I wheeled in that same trash can and I busted open the lid, she'd be like, this is not a very enjoyable date, right? (laughs) It would kind of ruin the mood. Um... In our relationship with the Lord, I think sometimes 
we try to take the trash can with us. It's full of our sin. We try to wheel it around with us like it's our buddy. But that's my sin, man. That's what it's like. And I wish every time I did sin, it would stink like that because I, I would probably sin a lot less, right? <laughs> but I think the reality is before you and I come into a relationship with the living God, before we, we get to Jesus, we are wheeling that around. And here's the scary part. We get used to the stink. It doesn't smell so bad anymore. Don't mind it, right? It smells like this all the time. But it's, again, why I believe Jesus put such an emphasis on the forgiveness of sins. Put an extreme emphasis on being cleansed first. There's a story in Mark chapter 2. Of course, you know it. It's this paralyzed man. But Jesus shows us uh, our greatest need. And again, it's Mark chapter 2. Jesus had just begun his ministry. Things are going really well. He's at a house in Capernaum. And people are flocking to see him because he's healing everybody. Everyone's really excited about it. Like, hey, you go see that guy, you'll get healed, you know? So we read that he's at this house and that it was standing room only. Packed house, right? Jesus is there. He's preaching to the word to them. But there's this paralyzed man in the crowd, but he has some awesome friends. He has four awesome friends. And we read that they lower him through the roof to get to Jesus, they're like, we can't go in the front door. It's blocked with people. Can't hop the fence. We can't do that. Let's get on the roof and do it. They had flat roofs then, so you could you know, take the stairs up to the roof. We read in Luke that they uncovered many of the tiles. I just imagine the scene, man. Jesus is preaching and then like a little bit of dust. Dirt clod, you know. Jesus is there. But Jesus says something and does something very interesting. We're going to pick it up in Mark chapter 2, verse 4 says this, and when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. <laughs> so place yourself in that scene for a moment. Imagine that you're one of these friends. You just went through all this work. You did like the Mission Impossible thing to get your buddy down there. And Jesus, you're like, he's gonna heal him, I know. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven you. You're like, okay, well, we're kind of hoping you would heal him. <laughs> Forgiveness is good, good too, but you know, what? He just forgave his sins? We need this guy to be healed. <laughs> Imagine if you were the man, right? You're hoping and you're anticipating a healing, uh, but you know, you're not really anticipating your sins being forgiven. But God always knows our greatest need, right? So Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven you. It shows us that this man right here, this paralytic, he needed to be healed of sin before he needed to be healed of paralysis. He needed a spiritual cleansing more than he needed a physical restoration. This man needed uh, right standing with God more than he needed to stand. That's how important this was to the Lord. We know the rest of the story. Jesus, he does go on to heal the man physically as well. But here's my point, you guys. Me and you, we are like this man. God wants to heal us, but first and foremost, we have to be cleansed of sin to have a relationship with him. So we're back to Romans 5 now. That is the question that Romans 5 answers, though. How are we justified? How am I put into right standing with the Lord? There came a point all those years ago when I was like, okay, God, you've showed me, and I agree with you. I'm a sinner. I, I missed. I'm not perfect. I've messed up before I have sin in my life. What now? How do I get cleansed? How do I get justified? 
How do I get into a right relationship with you? We're going to pull up Romans chapter 5, verse 1 again. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. And it says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith. Faith. Is that it? Could it really be that simple? (laughs) Faith. That's the key for us. In the chapter before this, in Romans chapter 4, Paul mentions these two heroes of our faith, Abraham and David. And Paul claims that Abraham and David, they were both justified as well. In other words, they are cleared of all their sin. There's no black dots on their record or anything like that. They were counted as righteous people, not because they did a bunch of good stuff or they cleaned themselves up. That's not what he was saying. He said they were righteous because they had faith in God. Paul also points out that because God made Abraham righteous, Abraham couldn't take any credit for it. He couldn't say, oh yeah, I'm righteous, I did it. I'm in right standing with God. No, it was all God. He was the one who did it. I wanna read to you Romans chapter four, verses uh, 20 through 22, and this is speaking of Abraham. Says this, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, speaking of the Lord, he was able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was accounted or credited to him as righteousness. What did Abraham even do though? He just believed God. He had faith in the Lord. God was like, Abraham, you're gonna be the father of many nations and you're, you're gonna start making babies too. Abraham's like, Lord, I'm no spring chicken, but okay, let's do it. Start making babies. All he had to do was believe. But look, you guys, it was accounted to him for righteousness, and the same is true of us, all right? Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith. That means that to be right with God, to be in that relationship where we're good, to be in a position where I'm cleansed, my sin is no more. All I have to do is have faith in Jesus Christ. I have to believe that God will do what he said he would do. Again, the reason why I got so freaked out when I was becoming a Christian was because I finally saw my sin for what it was. I finally had that epiphany where it was like I was trying to sit down and talk to Jesus and have a relationship with him. He's like, I'm sorry, Jonah, I'm gonna have to cut you off because you wielded this trash can with you, brother. And we have to take care of that first before anything else, trash can has got to go. And then we're all good, right? Here's the thing too. God wasn't asking me to clean it up. He was saying, look, I'll do it. I'll get rid of it for you. You just sit back. Let me take care of the trash for you. I'm just asking you to give me permission to do it. Jesus is a gentleman, right? He's not gonna force me to do it. This is what happened though. I said, okay, do it, Lord. In that moment, boom, I was justified. Justified. God cleansed me of my sin in that moment. And it wasn't a rinse off either, you guys. It's brand new. Everything is brand new at that point. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'll never forget either I was listening to Pastor Chuck Smith talk about uh, this, this verse, Romans chapter five, verse one. And he said justified, that word justified, it means just as if I never did it. Just as if I never did it. And it really affected me. It still affects me today because I knew what I had done. I knew that I had done a lot of messed up stuff And I had, you just wouldn't have known it though because now I had a relationship with the living God and there were no trace odors of this trash on me. There were no remnants or anything like that. 
God was fully aware of all the pig slop I had rolled around in, though. (laughs) He knew about it. But at that moment when I said, okay, Lord, you got it. You're the Lord of my life. He said, boom, okay, I'll take care of it. Cleansed, justified, just as if I never did it. (laughs) The language, too, it says, having been justified. That's all past tense verbiage. It's in the past. The justification had already taken place. And I just had a hard time wrapping my mind around that. I said, You're, it's done? No mas? It's done? I don't have to deal with this anymore? Because if it was done, and I was justified in God's eyes, according to these next few verses, that meant I had access to God himself. There was no longer anything between me and him. I had full, complete access to him. And in the rest of uh, Romans chapter 5 here, the verses that we'll, we're going to cover We see some more results of justification as well. They're really just blessings I wanted to talk about this morning, and we're going to walk through those together. Four blessings, okay, and then we'll be all done. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Keeping in mind that faith, that's the thing that got me in the door, my faith in Jesus Christ. It unlocked all of these results of justification now. So we're going to see these four things in the next couple verses. The first one is peace with God. Peace with God. Second, The ability to stand in God's grace, man. Stand in grace. Third, you can rejoice in hope now. And the last one is glory in tribulations. It's four things are what we're gonna cover really quick this morning. But let's look at the rest of verse one together. It says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. Now, peace with God means the war is over. There's no longer any battle between me and God. Um, And it's not just a feeling of like zen or uh, serenity or calm, because you can get that by fishing. But this is like we are at legally, we're good on either side. There's peace. There's no more war between me and the Lord. And truthfully, I was tired of fighting with God. I was sick of the battle within me of my conscience being like, you really shouldn't do that. And then my flesh being like, well, we're going to do it anyways. You know, I was really tired of that battle, that whole warring on the inside of us. But it reminds me of this story of a Japanese soldier. It's World War II. It ended in September of 1945. Um, this Japanese soldier, he did not realize that the war was over. So he kept on fighting. He was trapped on an island in the Philippines, engaging in this guerrilla warfare. And for the next 29 years, he went on to continue fighting. The U.S. Uh, military, had, even at a certain point, they dropped the, the brochures or the pamphlets that say the war is over. And he thought it was a tactic of the U.S. to get him to stop fighting, so he just kept on fighting. 29 more years, taking in hostages and just battling. 29 more years. But sometimes I think we're just like that soldier. We're continuing to fight. We don't need to, though. The war between us and God is over for the Jesus follower. You can raise the white flag and surrender to him. No shame in it. This verse says that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I will testify, there's many in this room that can testify. The only way you will have peace is through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's true. You and I must have an encounter with Jesus if we plan on having any sort of peace. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, it actually comes out of Mark chapter five. There's this man, and to me, uh, this is a really freaky story, but This man is possessed by a lot of demons, like 6,000 demons. Okay, there's this really freaky description of him, and I want to read it to you. It's in Mark chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. It says this, And when he had come out of the boat, that's speaking of Jesus, 
Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. No one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. So this man, he's not exactly the uh, picture of peace, right? In fact, to me, uh, this man is a perfect example of what it means to have complete chaos going on on the inside of you. You guys know the story. Uh, Jesus, he sends the demons out uh, of this man into a herd of pigs. The pigs take off into the ocean and they drown. Love that story. I always wonder too if it's somebody's like first day at church and they're like, wait, time out. Demon pigs, what's going on? You know, they're like, but we say it like, yeah, you do the story. <laughs> uh, but the man is healed. After his encounter with Jesus, he's rid of all the demons. I love the description the Bible gives to you. It's Mark chapter five, verse 15. Listen to this. It says, then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion of demons sitting and clothed and in his right mind. I have that underlined in my Bible. This guy, his life was complete chaos before Jesus. After a word from the Lord, though, boom, all of a sudden, he finally has peace. He's clothed. He's not naked anymore, and he's in his right mind. Man, what a relief that must have been for this man. We don't think about it too often, but I read these stories in the Bible. I'm amazed. And we would never say that we are like that guy. We never want to make, be like, oh, yeah, I'm just like that guy. But I would argue with you that we are more like that man who is demon-possessed than we think. Uh, let me explain. What am I talking about? Well, for one, he lived in a graveyard. You guys are like, well, I don't live in a graveyard. How does that apply to me? Well, spiritually, I think that sometimes we do, man. Spiritually, I think there is a lot of death in our lives prior to us coming to Jesus. Maybe you've been at a point in your life, too, where just spiritually, everything was dead inside of your own life. I think this is also a good description for anybody who really suffers with depression. It can feel like that. A lot of times, just everything around you, there's no life in it, right? Number two, it says that he was bound with chains. Sure, yeah, you're not physically bound with chains. What about spiritually, ma'am? Is there a vice in your life that no one knows about? Maybe it's your own little thing. Is there a spiritual chain in your life? Number three, it also said that he was cutting himself with stones. He was harming himself. Really sad. Um, And this is just on a really honest note, you guys. I think if we knew the amount of self-harm that took place on a daily basis, even in our own town here, our hearts would just be completely shattered at the knowledge of it. But I just want to encourage you, if you're listening right now, and maybe you can relate to this man a little bit as far as chaos internally, Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says that we have peace with God. You can have access to God's peace. And I would just encourage you, if your life is chaos, consider handing it over to the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing we talked about. Again, peace with God. The second blessing is found in Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Check this out. It says, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Man, this grace in which we stand. I love the wording there. This has really become a life banner for me. Again, faith is our access into this, but uh, Paul says 
this grace in which we stand. I would also argue that without God's grace, I couldn't stand. <laughs> it's a thing that gets me out of bed in the morning. I love this description of grace too. Maybe you've heard it before. It's really a definition, but it's God's unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor upon me and upon you. Um, I have noticed though that oftentimes we can get a little mixed up with um, this whole description of God's grace. And uh, let me explain. So many times we think that God's favor, or in other words, how much God loves me, is based on how lovable we are. It's not true, man. That is totally not true. That is a total and complete lie. God's grace is upon you no matter how lovable you are, despite how lovable you are. Sometimes we can be a little bit uh, hard to love. You know what I mean? <laughs> but God's favor is upon us. One of the greatest lies the enemy will say is this too. Oh, God can love you. He can pour out his grace on you if you've been a really good boy this week. If you've been, you know, really good and following the rules. Oh, but remember you did that sin. Yeah, oh, in that sense, yeah. Guess not, sorry, you're out of the running for this week. <laughs> but I gotta tell you guys, man, God's grace is upon us and it's completely separated from our performance. It's a hard thing to reconcile because we live in a culture that is so uh, performance-based. Here's another thing that I'm ashamed to say, you guys, but there are days when I think, you know what, God, you should love me today. I have been a good boy. I've been doing really good, right? Uh, truth is, even on my best day, <laughs> I don't deserve God's grace. You know, for the Christian, God pours out his grace upon us because of our faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. Satan wants to tell you that the door to God can only be unlocked by being a really, 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 really good person. That's the only way you can get access to God. It's not true. The door to God is unlocked by our faith in Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse six. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he is the way to not only peace in your life, you guys, but grace as well, the grace in which we stand. There's this picture in my mind about it, and it's actually a waterfall. I love this picture. It's really beautiful. We got Twin Falls just down the road, and I wouldn't want to, like, stand in that water, but I have been to some smaller waterfalls that are, like, it's the original shower. You know, they're awesome. Normally, they're accompanied by a hike, too. You kind of got to work for it. I don't love that part of it, but... Um, I think God maybe designed it that way. <laughs> One thing I love, though, it's just a fact about waterfalls. No matter how muddy or dirty you get on the hike up there, it's still flowing. It doesn't care how dirty you are. You can get in the water if you just had a little bit of dust on your toe or if you're covered from head to toe in mud, in pig slop, okay? Water is still flowing. Same is true of God's grace, though, you guys. We just choose whether or not we're going to stand in it. It's flowing either way, though. It doesn't matter how dirty you are. And I just want to encourage you today, man. Don't be ashamed to stand in God's grace. If God's just heaping blessings upon you, man, just enjoy it. You don't need to feel bad about it. Sometimes people feel bad about being blessed. Don't feel bad about it. The devil loves to come along, though. This is what he does. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. This waterfall is for clean people only, right? That's what condemnation does. It's not true, though. It's simply not true. No matter how dirty you are, it will clean you. Okay, so the two things we've talked about, again, peace with God, standing in grace, the waterfall of grace. Let's keep going. Let's look at the last part of verse two. It says, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
Third blessing that we receive, you guys, we can rejoice in hope. I want to ask you too, what separates the Jesus follower, a Christian, from the, the, from the rest of the world? I want to suggest to you that it's the hope that lies within us, Jesus Christ. Uh, we don't rejoice in hope because things are going good, bills are paid, my football team won this week. That's not why. That's not why we rejoice in hope. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I know that one day God's glory will be fully revealed in me. Until then, I'm living in the not yet. I'm on this side of the curtain still, right? We get to see glimpses of God's glory, but it hasn't been fully revealed. Yesterday, I was blessed. I got to be part of an ordination ceremony for one of my uh, pastor friends. He was becoming a pastor, elder uh, person, really good friend of mine. And I was just laughing. There was a, a point I was like, dude, this is hilarious. And we're celebrating him. We're loving it. It's an awesome time. Um, and if you guys met him, you'd be like, yeah, he's a totally gifted pastor person. Here's the thing, though. I knew him when he was not that. I knew him when he was like very anti-God, you know. He has a really incredible testimony. But he got ordained yesterday. And we weren't celebrating his intellect or how awesome he is or how hard he works, although he does all those things. We were celebrating God's glory in him. We're like, dude, we have literally seen God's glory on the inside of you. He took you out of darkness and into the light. That's what we are celebrating. So just as a group of pastors, we were there, we were just saying, look, we recognize that God is doing something in your life and we're getting a chance to see God's glory. You know, for some of you, that's your story as well. You know, for the Christian, we can rejoice in hope knowing that one day, not yet, but one day God's glory is gonna be revealed. It reminded me of what the Apostle Paul said in a different letter. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 12. This is what he said. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Things on this side of heaven, on this side of eternity, sometimes it's a little blurry. We're not getting the full picture. The glass is a little dirty, if you will. <laughs> That's why we ask a lot of whys on this. God, why did you have to go that? Why did I have to go through this to get to here? Why did you allow it to go down this way? Truth is, I don't know, but we, we know that we can rejoice and hope one day it will make sense. Think of the story of Joseph, you know, wrongly accused, all sorts of Bible characters. But if you're a Christian, you can say, look, I don't understand why it had to go down this way, why God put this in my life, but I do know that there is a reason. My tribulations aren't meaningless. And that is one major difference, man. People without God say, I had to go through this really hard thing, and I don't even know why. I don't know what the light at the end of the tunnel is. I believe that end result is despair. Again, rejoice in hope. Uh, let's keep going here, you guys. Now we're into Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Verse three says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. This fourth point here, this last one that we'll talk about, you guys, is glory in tribulation. I think it was fitting that the Apostle Paul was the person who wrote those words, glory in tribulations, because he had been through a lot of them. <laughs> I wanna read to you, uh, some of the trials and the sufferings that the Apostle Paul went through. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm gonna just read this for you. We'll, we'll have it up on the screen too. It says this, picking it up in uh, chapter 11, verse 24. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. It's a weird way to say 39, but um, it's like 195 lashings, okay? It's a lot. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. 
Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have been in the deep and journeys often in perils of waters and perils of robbers and perils of my own countrymen and perils of the Gentiles in perils in the city and perils in the wilderness and perils in the sea and perils among false brethren and weariness and toil and sleeplessness often and hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and nakedness besides the other things. What comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Paul went through a lot, man. He went through a lot physically And then at the end of all that, he says, plus I have anxiety. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Now, listen, you and I, we've got our own trials. We have our own stuff going on. And I will never make light of anyone's trial, what they're going through, because I know for me, there's some stuff that I'm going through. I'm like, God, this is a really hard trial. This is a really hard storm. Someone's like, no, it's not. Do you know what I, you know. So we never compare trials, right? Uh, We don't do that. But here's my point. If anyone was qualified to talk about hard times, it's the Apostle Paul. And he said, we are to glory in tribulations. What a weird thing to do with tribulations. Because <laughs> if, here's, let me explain. If he would have said, and not only that, but we also cry like a baby in tribulations, I would be like, you got it. I can do that, you know. <laughs> or he was like, we have a really bad attitude in tribulations. I'd be like, yes, sir, you got it. I can do that. Or uh, just complain a lot in tribulations. I'd be like, consider it done. (laughs) But he said glory in tribulations. And I mentioned at the beginning of the study that this verse keeps coming up because I think trials keep coming up. Tribulations, hard times, storms, whatever you want to call them, they never cease, right? But Paul says we're supposed to glory in them. Why though? We're supposed to take pride in them in these sufferings that are occurring in our lives. Why? Because God is producing something in us. And that word tribulations, though, it's really interesting. I want to talk about it just for a moment. It's the Greek word thalipsis, okay? And it literally means pressings or crushed. Uh, Paul is saying that we need to glory in these crushings that we endure, getting excited about the trials in our lives. And that word, again, it's thalipsis. It's interesting because it refers to the process by which olive oil is made, and many of you Bible scholars in the room know this, but these big granite wheels would crush olives that were brought to them, and it makes a sort of paste, and then that paste is uh, it's, uh, pressed through a fine like mesh cloth, and then it's separated, and on the backside you've got this olive oil once it's separated. It's fitting that Jesus, on the night he would be betrayed and uh, sentenced to a criminal's death, was found praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. That word Gethsemane, the name in Hebrew, means oil press suggests that Jesus was in a grove or a garden of olive trees with maybe an oil press located somewhere on site. But that night and the following morning, Jesus would endure the greatest pressing of all time, the greatest crushing. And I love this too about the Bible, but there's this moment, and it just gives us these details. Jesus is is in the garden. He's suffering from so much mental anguish that we read he began to sweat drops of blood. Medical term, really rare, but it's called hemodrosis. What happens during this, sorry, this is kind of nerdy, but I just want to get into it here. During hemodrosis, we have these capillary blood vessels that are attached to our sweat glands, and they rupture. So it causes sweat, uh, as you're sweating, just blood to come out. And it's said that fear and intense mental contemplation or anguish are the most frequent causes of hemodrosis. Talk about a tribulation, right? But Jesus endured that. And it wasn't only just the sweating of the blood, right? The ultimate pressing was being separated from his father on the cross, dying the death we deserved. 
the only perfect man dying a criminal's death for me and you. When we go through trials and tribulations, though, God is producing something in us. There comes a point during, I think, any trial, any storm, where you have to just take your hands off the wheel and go, Lord, I can't even do this anymore. I can't. I just have to give it to you. Give it up, surrender. But in that moment, and we're not quitting, but in that moment, we're just giving it to the Lord. We just say, God, I can't do this. There's that moment in the garden as Jesus is praying and he says, look, if at all possible, Lord, remove this cup from me. If there's another way that we can do this, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I rephrased it, you know, Father, if there's any way to get around this one, let it be so, but if not, here we go. And I'm not suggesting, you guys, hear me out on this, that I'm not suggesting that we act like we're having a blast when we're going through trials. That's not what Jesus did at all. I'm not saying fake it till you make it or anything like that. But I am saying that the tribulation that you're going through right now, it means something. It's not uh, for nothing, okay? Tribulation, it produces in us, look at the rest of verse four, perseverance. Perseverance, character. And the end result eventually is hope. That word perseverance, it could be translated as well, endurance, okay? Uh, Now, when we hear the word endurance, I often think of like a marathon runner, you know, long distances. And that's hard for me because I'm, you know, I'm built for like the shorter distances, like real quick, you know. Uh, My body type is not like marathon running, right? But God is saying, look, I want you to be in it for a long haul. This baby trial that you're going through right now, I know it doesn't seem like a baby trial to you, but I want you to be in it for the long haul. I want you to be a marathon runner, a long distance runner. But, and it, here's the thing, you guys, it's not if, but when we endure tribulations, right? We can glory knowing that God is producing perseverance, character, and in the end, hope for me and for you. He's making us into long-distance runners, right? I'm gonna call the worship team back up this time as we close. Just close here with uh, verse five. It says this, speaking of that hope that God is producing in us, now hope does not, disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Another translation speaking of that hope says, this hope will not lead to disappointment. Man, there's a long list of things that are going to disappoint us uh, in this lifetime. I firmly believe that and you guys have experienced too. There's a lot of things in the world that really are disappointing. Like chip bags, you know, why are they always halfway full when you buy them? It'll just be all the way full, you know. Ridiculous. (laughs) Ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but this hope in us, it's not going to. The hope that God is producing, it's God's hope, which means that the suffering, the trial that I'm going through right now, the tribulation, it's not meaningless. It means something. God is doing something inside of me. Again, this verse, that's why it was, again, it's just instrumental in me becoming a Christian. But now I think about the trials that I've gone through and the stuff that comes up every single week, right? And I go, you know what? It's not meaningless. This trial that has been placed in my path, this storm, this hard time, uh, it counts. And God is doing something in my life. The Christian can say that. Somebody who's not a Christian, I don't know why trials, right? They have, they, they're hopeless and I, it leads to a despair in the end. Uh, as we close here, I just want to pray for you. If you are somebody who might be in the middle of a tribulation and you're just asking some whys, you know, it's okay. I just want to pray for you during this time as we close. So let's pray. Father, I do just want to lift up um, that person 
sitting in a chair right now, Lord, that is thinking, man, I'm just going through it, Lord. Life is hard right now. I don't know why this happened. I don't know why this happened, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would just wrap your arms around them, just give them a big hug and say, look, I've got a plan. I'm doing something. I'm making you strong. I'm making you into a long distance, a persevering and endurance runner. I'm doing something and it means something, not suffering for no reason at all. Just pray for that person, God, just asking that you would comfort, Lord, and that your spirit, by the power of your spirit, they would just experience your peace, your grace. Lord, that hope on the inside and they would look up and just say, you know what, I can glory in this tribulation. I can boast about what God is doing in my life. Just pray for that person, Lord. And for the rest of us, God, we just ask again that um, your word would sink deep, God. Your word is what changes us. That's why we studied it this morning, Lord. Just ask that you would go before us now, Lord. Fill us up with your spirit. We worship you and we sing this next song to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.